am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you live from San Francisco, California, where we are still observing, like most other parts of the country, our shelter in place here. Uh, we sheltered in place, actually, we were one of the earliest to shelter in place. Uh, the city of San Francisco sheltered in place starting March 16th. Actually, a lot of folks started working from home prior to that, uh, almost prior to that, about a week or week and a half or so before that. Uh, some some people, some people early, early March. And then the rest of uh, California started sheltering in place a few days after that. So we're now past the one month uh, mark, I have to say, coming to you from a small apartment in San Francisco. Things are getting a little stir crazy on my end where I'm ready to uh, ready to fly on out of here at, at any point in time and uh, go have a cocktail somewhere. But in any case, um, we are we're getting more excited on the in the sports frontier. We uh, we're getting we're getting some progress made in terms of sports coming back and a, and a bit of a glimmering hope here. So a couple days ago, the PGA said that they are going to resume their first tournament in June uh, in Texas. And it sounds like Dana White's uh, of UFC is pushing for a May 9th uh, fight date, uh, whether it's on an, a remote island somewhere or uh, he finds another location. He seems bound and determined to uh, bring the MMA back. And then probably most importantly, Dr. Fauci uh, said that uh, he could easily foresee sports coming back this summer uh, just without crowds. So we're making progress there, which is great. But while we are still waiting for that to happen, um, there is one thing that's going on right now, and it's growing as people are uh, sheltered in place and holed up in their uh, apartments and homes and that is uh, esports. So one of the things that does not require people to gather in large crowds, does not require athletes to be physically present with each other, is uh, the gaming world. And uh, people playing uh, esports uh, from their comforts of their home, basement, or uh, some other place that they might be in. And I, I think this is just, I think this is fascinating that you know, the world of esports, you know, has, has actually been on the scene for quite some time. And now we're starting to really see a ramp up uh, in its activity, uh, in its viewership. Uh, you see streaming, um, you know, different products coming out on the market all the time. I just talked to another one yesterday that is now streaming NBA 2K games uh, and other simulated uh, uh, sports as well. So uh, this is really exciting. And I, I think, you know, you definitely are going to see a nice chunk of the sports market um, starting to be taken up by, by esports uh, because of uh, the fact that, you know, large gatherings are just not in the cards right now. That being said, this is <clears throat> a totally new world for me. Uh, I personally have been a diehard sports fan since the late 80s, early 90s, growing up in Wisconsin, diehard Brewers, Bucks, Packers fan. Never had a hockey team. So when I moved to uh, San Francisco in 2001, um, I thought, well, okay, why don't, why don't I start uh, maybe rooting for the Sharks? So I became a very casual Sharks fan in the 2000s. And then I, I'd say I really got into it in 2015. I've been pretty diehard Sharks fan since uh, 2015. So, uh, but esports is completely, completely new uh, to me. And um, I will say that uh, I played video games nonstop as a kid. I was a huge Zelda player. Uh, loved all the oldies like uh, Zelda, Castlevania, uh, Mega Man. 
And uh, I, I, I think it's, I think we're, I think we're onto something here in terms of uh, like really scaling uh, esports to the next level, where you see stadiums having fans and uh, the betting aspect of it is obviously taking hold because people don't have anything else to bet on. So I am excited to be joined today by Jacob Schrader. And uh, he is a uh, longtime gamer, and um, he is going to educate me and educate everyone else uh, and our listening audience on esports. And uh, so I'd like to, without further ado, welcome Jacob. How are you doing today, Jacob? Uh, good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you are across the bay over in uh, Berkeley, is that correct? Awesome. So why don't we start first with um, just a little bit about your background and your bio. How did you get into gaming? Um, what kinds of leagues and or tournaments have you played? How often do you play? Um, do you play like like one-off uh, you know, matches with your friends and stuff? Would, would just love more background about you and how you got into everything so, so that we can then dive deeper into... Uh, not only what you've done, but uh, the future of esports as well. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'll just start with a little bit about myself right now. Um, so I'm currently a student at Tufts, uh, which I love. Uh, it's a great place with a lot of great people. And I'm fortunate to have a good group of friends. Um, and we all actually love video games. Um, we play a ton together. Uh, and I'm an economics major and I'm trying to minor in computer science. Um, so right now I'm kind of just, you know, struggling through online classes, uh, and I'm also trying to, you know, spend a lot of time learning computer science uh, and machine learning and all those things, because I think, uh, that's kind of on the forefront of the world and definitely a good thing to learn. Um, so what is it like going through the online classes right now? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just, I, I have to ask about that. Cause when, when obviously I went to school, a big part of going to school was being physically around other like-minded uh, folks and classmates and kids and people. And I just, does it, does it feel the same? I mean, are you, are you as engaged? Is it as good as it was when you were going to actually physically go there every day? What's that, what's that like? Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's tough because, uh, you know, I always felt like, you know, the, the, the biggest way you learn in school is through your peers, right? The teachers can teach you something, but it's kind of about bouncing ideas off your friends and the people you study with to kind of expand your knowledge. Um, and you can't really do that with online classes, right? Standalone, like the, the lectures alone are, uh, you know, they're, they're tough, right? It's kind of limited in how much you can connect with the teacher and kind of understand them, right? Because it's your kind of distance. Um, and on top of that, right, there's, it's just tough. I mean, it's harder to learn, right? You don't have a, really have a, uh, uh, a whiteboard in front of you. Um, and just in general, it, it's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, yeah. I, I, one of the things that's interesting I've always felt is sure you actually learn, you know, you know, book materials and, uh, you know, uh, academia and academics when you go to school. But I actually think one of the most important aspects and learning aspects to going to a school and university and post-secondary education is actually not the classes that you take, but it's all of the life experiences that you get from being on your own for the first time, uh, from being around a bunch of other like-minded, smart folks, um, maybe possibly, you know, working a, a, a second job or, or working a job in addition to going to school. Uh, and, and all those life learning lessons that come with it is just not possible when you're doing it uh, virtually. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, 
like completely and wholeheartedly. That's something I'll tell my friends all the time, right? School is important, but, you know, learning about yourself and, and learning about interactions and, and stuff like that is incredibly important too. Um, and yeah, being online, you kind of lose all of that. Um, yeah. So just in general, online school, it's not, it's not right. very effective. Yeah, and one last t- one last point before we get back to your gaming background. So I-, I hope that that's something that's not lost on you know as uh, on on regulators as we're looking to slowly but surely open ourselves back up here in the coming months. That um, while of course we want to all stay healthy, we all want to stay safe. Um, you know, when I hear people prognosticating that oh, this is the future of learning. It's all going to be virtual. It's all going to be remote. And, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. Even when things do come back online, I think I think it's important for people to realize like that's that's actually not probably how people want to to be living. Um, and so it's, I think, you know, we're totally in agreement there. So sorry about the, the tangent and for interrupting there, but I really was curious about your thoughts on that. Um, okay, so back to the gaming. So how much are you able to game right now while you're, you know, kind of hold up, sheltered in place? I'm assuming as much as you want, but I still would love also the background, like how you got into it, um, you know, how you got started, you know, uh, like at what age and when did you get going and what were you playing and all that, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, yeah, so so I kind of, right, I, I kind of got into gaming uh, you know, elementary school, probably. I remember my dad always used to say no video games before third grade. Um, and in third grade, we got the first Xbox and that was awesome. We used to play racing games. Um, and we bought this like kind of wheel that basically took the place of a controller and you could basically play racing games with a wheel in front of you. And that was awesome. Um, and then in about fifth grade, uh, you know, for Christmas one year, um, my dad got me a PSP, which is, you know, PlayStation, we know about PlayStation. It's kind of their portable gaming system, right? So it's basically a 3DS, um, but, but for PlayStation or a DS, right? Remember those for PlayStation. Um, and I'll never forget, uh, at Christmas, he told me to open, you know, a present and it wasn't a PSP, but it was a PSP game. Uh, and that was like the greatest thing ever. Um, so after that, um, I actually, so I'm more interested in kind of not those games anymore, but more shooting games and competitive games of that nature. Um, and I remember in fifth grade, uh, we had this thing called SRAs in school, which is kind of like uh, a, a reasoning. It's, a, it's basically a set of tests, right? And, you, and there's a bunch of levels um, and the levels get harder and harder and harder. And it's basically reading comprehension and logical reasoning and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, fifth grade was the same year that Modern Warfare 2 came out, which was an, like a huge game in terms of pushing gaming forward into the mainstream. Um, and it was really like the game everyone still talks about, right? It, it's 10 years later and people are still calling for Activision who made the game to remake it. What's the name um, of the game again? It was called Modern Warfare 2. Modern Warfare 2. And it was basically, it first of all, it had a great campaign. And so these games are normally campaign and then multiplayer. And it was really, it was actually the third Call of Duty game to have a multiplayer, but they really did it well. They added a ton of stuff. They added kill streaks, which were huge, and the maps were great. And it 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 was really the first complete multiplayer game. And my dad told me, you know, if you're the first kid to finish the SRA box in your class, you know, you're gonna get Modern Warfare 2. And obviously I was the first kid to finish the SRA box when I heard that. Um and it took me, I basically did like double as many SRAs as everybody else, but you don't 
I played a lot of sports growing up and I used to stay inside during recess and do SRAs. Um, what are SRAs? Now? They were, they're, they're like the box that I was talking about, the, the tests that move up in levels. Um, and, and basically the thing is like, based on how you scored in the last one, you would get a certain number. You would, you would, so there's 15 SRAs in each color and there's probably 10 colors. And say you got a perfect score, you would move up seven. I actually still remember it. That was the amount. Um, and I got one over two and, you know, that game was unbelievable. And at the same time I was playing hockey, right. And every single time our hockey team won a big game, as soon as we got in the locker room and our coach, you know, stopped talking to us, we were all like, we're playing Modern Warfare 2 right after this. Um, and we didn't play multiplayer. We would play like custom games with each other. Um, so we would play games where we were interacting a ton and we were right. They were called, you know, Michael Myers or cops and robbers. And they were just casual games, uh, you know, kind of like just fun, right? In the cops and robbers, there's cops and robbers and they're right. The, the game is kind of complicated, but basically uh, one team, the cops have shotguns, the robbers have knives, the robbers can kill the cops, but the cops can't kill the robbers, right? They kind of take them to prison and it, I don't know, it's kind of convoluted, but it was incredibly fun. Um, so that kind of was what pushed me into gaming. Uh, and then really, you know, what I discovered was YouTube. Right. And YouTube was kind of the hub for gaming. Right now we know about Twitch, but Twitch evolved mm -hmm. from YouTube. Um, right. And, and at the time was really the inception of a lot of the current, you know, the most popular esports organizations, right, which are Phase and Optic today, uh, were just getting started on YouTube. Right. So Nade Shot, Scump, uh, maybe not Scump, but, you know, these are guys that, that, you know, 10 years ago, we're making video game videos. And Nate Shot is now the CEO of 100 Thieves, which just raised 160 million in a Series B. Um, and these guys were making content videos, right? FaZe had a house of kids in FaZe Clan that, that all lived together. They were like 14. They're actually wow. pretty much exactly my age. Um, and they would just make videos. Wait, you're 14? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's like, wow, you're a child prodigy being in uh, school for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they used to make like just stupid videos. Like, I mean, they were funny, they were hilarious and they would, they would, uh, you know, have video game videos, but they also were, were interesting personalities. They were fun kids and kids love to watch them. I um, mean, you know, today, 10 years later, these kids are all multimillionaires. They all own Teslas and they all have 5 million subscribers on YouTube and, and they don't really make video game videos anymore. They've kind of all transitioned. I mean, they still make some video game videos, but they've transitioned to, you know, other things uh, and, you know, use their audience for positive things. Some of them make music. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them post working out videos. Um, but they all kind of and, and recently, actually, you know, they right now they so they used to live in a house in upstate New York. Um, and now considering how big phase has gotten right. Phase is huge now. Phase has like 130 employees. And it was started it was started by like four or five kids who played Modern Warfare 2 and used to do this thing called trick shotting where they basically, you know, hit crazy shots with sniper rifles uh, and it would take them hours to hit them. And then they would upload them to, to YouTube um, and people love to see them. Um, and the kind of the clan was formed around that now that they got 130 employees and they're living in a mansion in, in LA. Um, so kind of, you know, the gaming, the, the, the YouTube communities that started early and were kind of at the inception, uh, right. you know, are huge today. 
Yeah, I mean, it's almost like they were the first round of quote unquote influencers uh, oh, yeah, you know, on YouTube, right? I mean, you obviously have a lot of celebrity influencers now on YouTube and, and on Instagram and other platforms. But I mean, it's almost like because they tied into the, the video uh, watching community so well that they were able, that, that they were like the, you know, uh, the early founding fathers of uh, basically modern video influencers. Yeah. Um, that you get today. So was I know Justin Khan started Justin TV, which then eventually morphed into what is now Twitch. Was he also one? I don't know if you know much about him, but was he one of the early like YouTubers, influencers as well too? Or how did I don't know if you know much about him, but I don't. How did he get into like all of a sudden uh, broadcasting e sports or gaming, or did the gamers just come to him? Uh, yeah. So actually, the gamers just came to him. Uh, so he was not. Uh, YouTuber or anything like that. And actually, the reason he started uh, Justin.tv was uh, what he was planning on doing was just strapping a GoPro to his head and and streaming himself for 24 hours. Uh, he would oh, just do right. everything. I heard about that. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. It's kind of crazy. But, uh, and that's kind of what started the platform. And then, you know, gamers started to flock to it. I'm not sure if it was insinuated that it was for gamers. Uh, it probably was a little bit. Um, but it kind of just fits hand in hand, right? There's so, like, so, like, so many people who watch YouTube videos about gaming, um, and watching them live is more interesting because in every YouTube video, right, you know the guy's going to win, uh, but Twitch you don't. Twitch it's live, and and you're kind of playing along with that guy, and and Twitch kind of it has a more community aspect to it, right? So Twitch on Twitch you can subscribe to your favorite streamer, right, and that allows you to type in their chat. Uh, it also gives them like five. There's certain tiers of subscribing, but it gives them five to ten to twenty five dollars a month, right? And some streamers have thirty thousand subscribers, right? Wow. And that's like a hundred and fifty grand at the minimum a month. Um, and and kind of the biggest of the casual streamers, right? And a lot of streamers, some streamers are are competitive and good, really good at the video game, but the most popular streamers are just interesting personalities. Um, and some kind of can combine the two, and then they're crazy famous. But you know, Ninja. Ninja tried to play a little competitive Fortnite, but he was pretty bad. Um, but he still gets, you know, he still gets 70,000 viewers on his platform regularly, or he used to before he moved to Mixer. Um, but he used to play with Drake. He used to play with Chance the Rapper. He used to play with Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Travis Scott, and he would pull 600,000 people on his screen. Um, wow. So, yeah. yeah I mean, guys- if you're combining the actual gaming with a, a personality, I mean, that's just got to be the best of both worlds, right? Because yeah. you're <clears throat> you're not just... You know, I mean, you're, you're an entertainer at that point and you're entertaining people. Um, you know, of course, there's people that are watching you for your skill to, you know, to get insights and, and whatnot. But at that point, it becomes entertainment. So I have to bemoan a little bit. So I'm significantly older than you. And uh, so I remember the early, early. Oh, there's a little bit of background noise there. Um, I remember the early Atari days when in the 80s uh pac-man and pong and all those games came out and and that i was i was a very young kid so i'm not that old but uh but then my first um gaming platform was the original nintendo 8-bit and it was i was just floored and i literally especially during like summer break or any other time that school was out like weekends and whatnot i literally would plant myself in front of the tv for 12 to 15 hours a day i would like stay up all through the night like trying to conquer games and everything. And the reason I say I bemoaned it a little bit is like, we never had platforms like YouTube to be able to 
showcase ourselves or whatever, it would be literally you'd invite your friend over to say, hey, watch me beat this game uh, or to try and beat, you know, to, to challenge them to, to beat it or whatnot. And so it's, it's, it's like the platforms that we have today to allow people to showcase their talent is, I, I mean, it, you know, just didn't used to exist. In fact, you know, I always kind of say that if social media had been around when Jordan was playing in the 80s and 90s, I mean, he would have 50 million followers on Twitter and Instagram and, and everything else, way more than way more than LeBron ever has. Um, but it's the same thing in the gaming world. And I think it's it's amazing that gaming, that you could become famous and rich from playing video games. Like that for me is like, I mean, that would have been a dream come true for me as I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. And, and not only that is you're, you're making more money than than a lot of pro athletes are, um, right? Ninja, the Ninja made, you know, so Ninja in 2018 when Fortnite was popular, he pulled in about $12 million in a year based on streaming alone, right? And on top of that, uh, recently, maybe three months ago, uh, Ninja, so, so there's three big streaming platforms, uh, right? Twitch was kind of the original and it has like 70% market share. Twitch right. is the, the live streaming gaming platform. It's the monopoly. Um, but then there's also YouTube gaming, right? Which is big for videos, but you know, it, it's not as good for live streaming. And I always wondered why, uh, because YouTube has kind of such a, it's so involved in the gaming community. Um, I wonder why it doesn't have a bigger a streaming. Yeah, kind of that doesn't population. make any sense. I mean, do you think maybe it's because, I mean, it's owned by Google, like it doesn't seem to come across as cool. Although Twitch is owned by Amazon now. So I mean, it's, yeah. We're not really, uh, you know, the coolness factor, Although, but it's, you know, it's separate brand. I think maybe part of it is, is that, I mean, I, again, I'm just spitballing here, but I think part of it might be the fact that YouTube is everything, does everything. I mean, it's not just kind of really more geared towards that. So maybe people don't feel like they have as much of a, a place, on, you know, a specific place for gaming. Um, mm -hmm. But that's an interesting point. And what's the third one? Um, so the third one is Mixer, um, but also there's a ton of other ones, right? Facebook gaming, you know, there's more, but those are way less popular. And the interesting thing about Twitch, YouTube, and Mixer is that they're owned by Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, respectively. Um, so these are like the three biggest companies in the world. Um, right. So, oh, so uh, Microsoft owns Mixer. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. See, I think it's interesting. I totally understand why Google owns YouTube, of course. And I understand why Microsoft owns Mixer. It, I do feel it's a little... I, I mean, I know that Amazon you know, has a lot of video streaming content. And uh, I actually use Amazon Video and Amazon Prime all the time for, for my video streaming, probably more than Netflix. But I do think it's a little bit interesting that um, that Amazon owns that. Or at least it's interesting that they purchased them when they did. Um, but it obviously must be a, you know, a big play for them to get into the, into the streaming wars. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so, uh, Twitch is actually headquartered, uh, here in San Francisco. And then where, do you know where Mixer is based? Uh, I, th I think Washington, but I don't okay, really. So they're up near Microsoft. Uh, but cool. I think the reason why Amazon bought Twitch is right. So basically Google tried to buy Twitch for a million dollars and then Amazon topped them by, a, or a, a, not a million dollars, like $980 million. And then Twitch or, and then Amazon came in and either beat them or provided more value in Twitch's eyes. Uh, but you know, right now Twitch is worth like $30 billion um, alone. And I think Amazon just saw the investment and saw kind of the monopoly that they have over the streaming market and kind of understood, you know, how quick it would grow. Um, and, and kind of Fortnite pushed that forward, right? Before Fortnite, 
you know, Twitch was was not in the mainstream. Um, and and in the in the two years that you know Fortnite came out and basically wowed everybody, Twitch just exploded, like doubled in viewership each year. Um, so it kind of got lucky, but you know it would have happened eventually. It just Fortnite right. was the catalyst that pushed it forward. Right, and then just in, last thing about the the streaming companies um, in terms of their business model. So, so does the way it work is this is um, when somebody starts streaming. Let's just use Twitch again as an example, that or it could be YouTube. Then the watchers like donate money or contribute money to the streamer, and then Twitch takes a cut of that. Is that basically the model? Uh, yeah, so Twitch takes a cut of that, uh, and they also run ads on the platform. Um, Oh, they do. But, yeah, but you have to be a big enough streamer to qualify for ads. Um, and also, right, ads when watching something live are tough, right? Um, so it yeah, used to definitely. be that, and it still is today, that you would get an ad as soon as you started watching the stream, right? Because that kind of was easy, right? You didn't even start watching it. You don't even know if something exciting is going on. Um, and that's kind of a good place for that. Uh, but now uh, streamers can pick when to play ads. Uh, and that's pretty good. And it, it certainly um, is more convenient than uh, just having ads play randomly, which they used to. Uh, but and, one more thing. And the about, streamer gets a cut of the ad? Uh, yeah, he does. He, he gets a cut of the ad. Um, but one more thing about these three big uh, streaming services is, right, I, I talked a little bit about Ninja moving to Mixer. Uh, and that was a big deal, right? Ninja signed a three-year contract. And it was probably worth about $100 million. Um, and you've got the biggest companies in the world. And this basically just started a bidding war. So I would say the 15 and maybe 30 biggest streamers, you know, in the two months that followed, all signed contracts with either Mixer, Twitch, or YouTube. Um, and it was just a bidding war to get content on your site. Um, and Mixer, you know, really signed the two biggest streamers. Right, this mm -hmm. guy Ninja, and then this other guy Shroud. Uh, and Shroud is literally just the best gamer on the planet. He is just better than everybody else. Um, but even after doing this, right, these guys went from seventy thousand viewers and fifty thousand viewers on Twitch to like five grand on Mixer. Um, so it didn't really help Mixer that much, um, and Mixer kind of never, never really got the stake it was looking for when acquiring these guys. Right. So it's almost, again, bringing back the analogy of traditional or professional sports, it's just like uh, NBC going out and signing a deal to broadcast NFL games um, and paying them for that. So, you know, they're guaranteed to get their money, uh, the NFL is or the NBA, whoever it is that they're uh, contracting with. And then uh, they just basically get to keep all the ad revenue uh, from that. So, I mean, that's, man, it's just, it's it's unbelievable that it's it's really it really mirrors really closely like the traditional sports world. Um, except of course it's, you know, obviously, you know, on the gaming side. So coming back to you playing. Um, so in terms of what it looks like right now for you playing, so what games do you actively play right now? How and where do you play? Do you stream yourself? Um, are you more of a casual gamer? Do you have aspirations to go pro or semi pro? Like what does it look for you like right now? And then what does it look for you three to five years out? Uh, so, no, I'm not. I don't have any plans to go pro. I'm a strictly casual gamer. Um, but right now, so right now it's kind of an interesting time for video games, right? You know, obviously it's kind of all that people can do. Um, but recently two 
really good games came out. Um, so Activision, which makes Call of Duty, uh, came out with Call of Duty and they added a Battle Royale component, right? And Battle Royale co- components are just basically the Hunger Games, last person standing. Um, and these are incredibly popular. Um, and that's a casual game, right? And it amassed, I think, 50 million players in the first month. Um, and that's a fun game. That's kind of the game I'm playing right now. Uh, but, yeah, Battle Royale. Yeah, Battle Royale. Um, but Riot Games, which is you know one of the two big private uh, game publishers. Right, they're owned uh, by Tencent. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And uh, they came out with uh, basically a copy of a game released about 10 years ago called CSGO. And CSGO was an incredibly popular esports game. Uh, it was made by Valve, which is the other one of the big two private publishers. And both Riot and Valve, you know, have really good a really good ability to make esports games, right? These casual kind of kind of Activision Blizzard, which is uh, kind of Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, those kind of games. They're more casual games, right? And then you have Take Two which makes GTA, Red Dead Redemption, which are way more casual than even Activision's. Um, so you, and then you... Go ahead, sorry. And then you have EA, um, which makes a lot of sports games. I mean, those kind of those are the public companies and they're really casual. Um, but going back to Riot Games, they just came out with this copy of CSGO called Valorant. Uh, and Valorant is going to be ginormous as an esport, right? Valorant is a first-person shooter game, which adds to its mainstream appeal. It's also, it's basically CSGO, which means it's it's really skill-based and really, there's not a lot of things that are up to chance, right? The guns have really low recoil. The map is really rigid in the sense that you kind of know where everything is at all times. Um, and on top of that, they added abilities, which are cool, right? They added abilities that just make the game more interesting, more fun to watch. Um, and Riot Games is like just known for their games as esports, right? They have League of Legends, Team Fight Tactics, you know, League of Legends is is one of the three big, big esports games, um, and Valorant is just going to follow suit with that. Um, so I think Valorant will be the biggest of all of the esports games, uh, you know, in the future. Um, and who, they, makes, who makes Valorant? Uh, Riot Games. Okay, they do. All right. So Riot Games makes League of Legends and Valorant. Yeah. Valve makes CSGO. Yeah. Uh, Activision Blizzard makes World of Warcraft and all the other kind of more semi-casual games. Mm-hmm. And then Take-Two and EA do the very, very casual stuff. Yeah. Cool. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what makes Riot Games more, quote-unquote, serious? Like, what makes them the games that the professionals play, that they stream for big money, all that kind of stuff? Uh, so they basically center, they basically build their games as esports, right? They have esports in mind at the forefront of their games, right? Their games are meant to be played competitively um, and not casually. Uh, and this works, right? They know what esports players want, right? Esports players want the game not really to change. They want to be able to master the game, right? So, so Fortnite uh, was not even an esport, right? The Fortnite World Cup drew three and a half million people. Uh, watching the World Cup, and I guarantee you, like none of these kids like esports at all, right? They who makes just, who makes who makes Fortnite? Uh, Epic Games. Oh, Epic. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and these kids just love Fortnite, right? Fortnite is probably one of the coolest games to come out ever. Um, and you know, it was just a casual game that these streamers just love to play, and the competitive players just love to play. It was battle royale, so it had some competitive aspect to it, but you know, they didn't like it as an esport entirely because you know. Every Tuesday, this, the game would kind of completely change. 
Uh, they would add new guns. They would change the guns. They would kind of just change the map around. Um, and this drove the casual side of the game like crazy, right? They would basically have a whole storyline on top of a video game, which is kind of unheard of, especially in a multiplayer, you know, live video game. Um, and they would have events that happened while the servers were live, right? So in pretty much all other games, uh, when there's an update, you have to download it, right? It takes an hour and then you can log back in and play the game. But Fortnite used to have like entire sets go on in the middle of the day in a game, right? They would have live events where a rocket ship or a rocket would, would launch into the sky and destroy part of the map. And this would happen like in the game, right? The, the map would be destroyed. And then the next game you played, it would look completely different. Uh, and that drove the competitive or the casual side of it like crazy, right? Kids love that, it, right? So in one of the, they also had concerts, right? Marshmallow performed a concert in Fortnite. Uh, and that peaked at, I think, 11 or 12 million people playing and watching it. Um, and wow. that's a record by a mile in terms of video games. Um, so just the casual aspect of Fortnite uh, is kind of unmatched uh, in terms of gaming. So that was actually going to be one of my biggest questions for you when I, okay, so uh, Zen Sports, which is, by the way, a sponsor of the podcast, um, when we launched esports betting yesterday and we were getting ready to implement League of Legends and CSGO for betting in our app, I just naturally assume <clears throat> that these games change frequently in terms of layout, setup, like you mentioned, guns, characters, whatever. I didn't realize that, that they stay pretty static. And what you're actually saying is, is that that piece of it is what drives the competitive aspect of it because people want to beat it. People want to find new ways to beat it, et cetera. And, and, and people don't want change. I assumed that changing the games up would actually drive more viewership and drive more excitement. But you're saying that's much more on the casual side versus the competitive side, which is game has to stay the same, but the obviously, you know, how it, how it all plays out changes. Uh, yeah, so CSGO and League of Legends, uh, they do change, but there is a completely different playlist for competitive versus casual, right? CSGO, there's about six game modes in casual. Um, the guns change regularly, or just like the stats will change every once in a while. Um, but in competitive, there's one game mode, uh, and the guns change really infrequently. Um, right. And the same thing goes with League of Legends. Um, there's a completely different playlist. Um, for competitive versus casual. And every time, so so League of Legends is a character-based game and with items. And every time that they're adding a new item, right, they add it into the casual playlist way before the competitive playlist, right? They make sure it's balanced. They make sure it's not going to be abused, right? And they give the competitive players a chance to learn it before they put it into the the, the real thing. So that, I, again, to draw the comparison back to traditional sports um like you know again being a diehard sports fan i now that you're saying what you're saying if they like change the rules of football like i don't know every season or every week um you know that would drive me nuts right i, I watch it because of the consistency in how it's in in how it's managed operated and officiated and of course they they make a couple rule tweaks every year like they always do and whatnot which is good i mean you gotta you gotta you know learn from you know past mistakes and make things better and and improve the game and, th and that's how it should be but like if they all of a sudden like, I don't know, change it to like a 50 yard field or something like that or use a different kind of ball or something, I mean, all hell would break loose and nobody would watch that. So kind of the same analogy, but but the way the game is played from game to game, there's an infinite number of possibilities. And that's what you tune in to watch is 
the game itself doesn't change, but you know the the possible outcomes and the way it's uh, the way the outcome uh, is derived from obviously can be a, an infinite number of possibilities and can change. So now that I'm kind of thinking about like what you're saying, um, that makes a ton of that makes a ton of sense. So can you tell us more from a market size perspective? Is the casual gaming market bigger? Like are the are the you know World of Warcraft um, and those type of games are those are those bigger in terms of like uh, you know audiences and, and play or is it the more serious competitive games like League of Legends or or the you know new one Battle Royale are those are those bigger and, and just kind of want to understand like the dynamics of that um, you know what that looks like both from a playing perspective and an audience perspective uh, yeah so casual is you know exponentially bigger like it's not even close. Um, so Fortnite in their peak months, we're pulling, I think about $2 billion a month Wow, off their game. Uh, and, and in 2019, uh, the, the yearly, uh, revenue of esports was about 900 million. Uh, so that'll tell you how much bigger casual is than competitive, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, so games, which is nuts are moving to free to play, right? They're they're basically removing the barrier of entry, kind of like other industries, other media industries have done. Uh, and this, for some reason, just drives profits up um, because these free to play games, uh, what aren't free are the cosmetics, right? And and kids love skins, right? Fortnite has skins. They have which are just basically characters you can play as, right? In Fortnite, you have a pickaxe. Um, and they add new pickaxes, they add emotes, which are like dances, they add a ton of stuff, right? And, and some people buy, buy these every day, right? And skins are 20 bucks, right? Which is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, and every day the store updates and, you know, kids will stay up all night and just watch people stream the store update, right? There's a whole, there's a whole kind of community centered around Fortnite skins. Um, and, and the purchases are kind of driven by the fact that, you know, kids aren't playing for the game, right? They're not dropping $60 like it costs to play Call of Duty. Um, and Call of Duty's not free to play yet, but it's moving that way, right? Normally, Is that Call a Take-Two game? That's uh, Activision. That's Activision also. That's kind of Activision's big game. Um, Even and, bigger than Warcraft? Uh, it's probably pretty similar. Warcraft's pretty big too. So Activision and Blizzard kind of merged. Uh, and Blizzard makes Warcraft and Activision makes Call of Duty. Got it. Um, but yeah, so Activision and Call of Duty, right? In years past, uh, the game would be sixty bucks. Uh, but then for each additional map pack, which is basically just you know additional maps, it would be fifteen bucks, right? And there would be four map packs. So you know if you bought everything, it'd be you know about one hundred twenty bucks. Uh, but you know this last year, uh, they made everything after you bought the original game free. Right. And, and, you know, every game now is just copying Fortnite's business model, right? Fortnite's or not business model, but game model, right? So Fortnite kind of was the first game to continuously be changing, right? And it, you know, that drove the casual side of it. And the way they changed it was, you know, every Tuesday there was an update, right? At 6 a.m. Uh, there was a new gun added. There was updates to the map. There were new items added. Uh, and, you know, this kept people coming back week after week after week because, you know, and Fortnite did an unbelievable job just, you know, keeping the game alive. And I think people would have played it anyways, but they added some like 
unbelievably cool items that just fit in perfectly with how the game flows and stuff. Uh, but but the games that have come back come after that, right? So Apex Legends, which is a battle royale game made by uh, EA, uh, they basically did the same thing, right? They were they were right. Apex Legend has had four maps in the game, and it's been out for about a year, right? They're continuously updating it and, and trying to keep players engaged. Um, and Call of Duty right now is doing the same thing. Uh, you know, every week or so, they'll add new maps, you know, new 2v2 maps, new regular maps. Um, and they're kind of just branching out into a more general game, right? Kind of trying to think of the game as a platform, right? For people to just come to and hang out, um, which Fortnite did incredibly well. And, you know, a lot of these games are just trying to copy that now. So I guess, hmm. So it's it's interesting because I I just... I think that there's a lot of similarities between, well, and obviously look, okay, so gaming is software <laughs> and, <clears throat> you know, having worked in technology for the past 12 years, you know, from a business model perspective, I see, you know, what business models tend to work, which ones tend not to work, et cetera. And clearly, you know, uh, in a lot of like uh, consumery types of software products, like, um, like say Dropbox, for example, they have a freemium model, right? You get a bunch of storage, <clears throat> and then uh, if you want uh, you know if you want more storage you have to upgrade and pay more and the whole kind of freemium concept versus the old way of doing things where you had to pay one time to buy you know a video game and then you just never paid again after that i think the model of um you know paying or you know getting it for free or downloading it for free but then paying as you go to accumulate you know skins or um, you know, other treasures or whatever it might be is pretty ingenious. I mean, because, you know, you get people into the game with no friction at all. Whereas before you want to like back again in my day, if I wanted to go get the latest Zelda game, I had to, you know, pony up 50 or 60 bucks. Uh, you know, that was like in the late eighties, early nineties, which is probably 150 bucks now. And so, you know, there's that friction, right. And you might not be getting into the game, which means you're not talking about the game, which means you're not hearing about the game, which means you're not sharing the game with friends. Whereas now you download for free and you're in the game and now you're talking about it, you're streaming it, you're doing everything. But then if you really, you know, if you want to obviously, you know, get to the next level, if you want to collect things, if you want to conquer the game, you're clearly going to have to pay up. Uh, so, yeah. I think that freemium model is a great analogy um, for how Fortnite and all these other games are kind of moving to. Um, and I definitely agree with the point that, you know, having it free really increases the exposure of these games, right? Because right, people can stream it for free, you know, more YouTube videos, more Twitch streamers, uh, and just more interaction. And you're kind of just giving people a free chance to play it, right? If they see it on Twitch and they like it, you know, they can just download it. Uh, and it's not even a big decision because you don't like it, you just delete it. Um, so, yeah, I think both of those points are, are great. Yeah. And so um, I kind of want to use that as a springboard to talking about like other aspects of esports, which is um, so, for example, like us in the betting world, um, you know, with Zen Sports being a betting platform and we just added, you know, esports betting, uh, you know, and, and talking about some of these other ancillary businesses that go around esports um, besides just the streaming piece of it or the the leagues and the tournaments. So, um, so what are your thoughts on, on that? So for example, uh, you know, let's just maybe to set some context here. So traditional sports betting is this huge behemoth, hundred billion plus market worldwide, uh, in terms of profits, actually trillions of dollars are actually wagered in terms of the, 
in terms of the actual volume, but then in terms of the the net handle and the profits from the bookmakers, it's around 100 billion, maybe about 120. So uh, you have this huge market that's been around for decades, right? And the notion is is that uh, live sports or traditional sports are your ultimate reality TV. They were the reality TV before any reality TV shows came around. And so they're live, they're unpredictable. And while, of course, if you do your research and you do some advanced analytics, you can definitely, uh, you know, probably have some kind of advantage uh, in in betting, uh, which is actually a separate topic, which is why I believe uh, sports betting is skill-based, but that's a topic for another day. Um, but anyways, you have this live unknown event that then, you know, generates crowds of people to bet on it. So I want to talk about, uh, you know, that like within the esports world. So um, maybe the first question is just around maybe what you hear and see, you know, whether it be from your friends or your online communities that you talk to, like, you know, are they betting on esports right now? Is there chatter and do they like, are they clamoring for it? Like, what is the general perception just high level around esports and betting? And then I have some specific questions I'm going to dive into, uh, dive into with you after that. Uh, yeah. So I would actually say that that people who play video games and esports are less likely to bet on things. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure why I think that, but I was thinking about it earlier and just, just who gamers are, it, it doesn't really allude to someone who, who bets a lot. Um, but that being said, there's still going to be a lot of people who want to bet on video games and the, and the people who really love watching them probably will want to bet on them. Um, uh, with that so you're saying said, the, ga- the, str- the gamers themselves are not betting, of course, but the people that are watching are interested. Uh, yeah, but I would say the casual gamers are not so interested in betting on esports, right? The esports, you know, fans, you know, might be and probably are. Um, but just my general consensus is there's not a ton of it going around. Uh, and I've got a lot of friends who bet um, on sports uh, and, and they don't really bet on esports at all. Um, some of them do. And, and the one who does uh, really likes video games. Um, but just in general, I would say there's less of it than one might imagine. Uh, I've done a little bit of it. Uh, I bet on the Fortnite World Cup, uh, but that didn't turn out so well. So, But why do you think that is? I mean, is it because of an access issue? Is it because, um, just curious, what, what is your, like, if you had to, like, gut check, why would, why are, why are you, your friends, or other people in general not betting on esports, maybe like you might on an NBA game? What, what, what is your gut reaction as to why that is? I think it's just maybe because it's new and kind of uncharted territory, right? I know that Vegas, you know, was heavily against esports betting up until like within this last month because they don't really have a choice, right? Uh, they didn't do any of it, um, but now they're kind of like just just starting to. Um, Nevada just passed CSGO uh, and I think Dota uh, in terms of being, and, and they've had League of Legends for a while. So they're getting, they're literally just yesterday, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, they're getting big into it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the thing about, you know, Vegas betting on, or, or, or esports and betting on Vegas is that, you know, they're really worried about game fixing, right? So on Vegas right. books. Which is actually going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Go ahead. Vegas books, uh, for esports, you know, you can't bet anywhere near as much money as you can for regular sports, right? There's huge limits on how much you can bet. Um, and so each state has to approve uh, a game to be bet on. And on top of that, every platform has to get each match that they want to bet on approved, um, which is a ton of restrictions. Uh, um, and it's just because it's a new industry. And I think the cheating will go down 
Um, because you know what, in all honesty, right. I, I would say it's probably harder to cheat in a video game than in real sports because, you know, video games are all on computers, right? It's going to be a lot easier to record and, and kind of measure what's going on in an esport than it is in a real sport. And I think, you know, there's been some cases, right? League of Legends had a player cheat in China. And honestly, Fortnite has a ton of people cheating, uh, but they get banned every week. Um, you know, each week or maybe, maybe every other week, there's a duo that tries to cheat um, and they get banned. They're just banned for six months. Um, and some kid cheated during the World Cup uh, and he just got kicked out immediately. Uh, he didn't. He didn't cheat in kind of an egregious way. He just right there was a uh, right. The, all the kids are playing on their individual screens, and then there's a huge broadcast, uh, and they caught him looking up at the broadcast, uh, right, to see where other players were. Um, okay. So yeah. I want to dive deeper into this because I think it's I think it's uh, actually uh, pretty pretty fascinating. So um, nowadays, and I would say let's just call it the last uh, thirty years or so. There, other than the Tim Donaghy scandal uh, in the NBA, um, there has been like, I, I mean, n- no even rumors of professional athletes doing anything nefarious, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to help, you know, bookies or, or sports betters out. So there's a couple of reasons why I have a theory. And then I want to tie that back into esports here. So one is professional athletes make so much money nowadays, like they're really going to risk their, <laughs> you know, their future and their salaries and all the endorsements that they have to help some random person win 50,000 bucks. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense for them. There's no, there's that. And of course they're going to go to jail on top of it and and whatnot. Secondly, uh, while Vegas, for example, <clears throat> specifically used to be mob run uh, since basically the late eighties, it's all been corporate, well, mid to late eighties. It's all been, it's all been corporation. So you took, you got all the um, bad actors out of, it, and not saying, of course, you know, there isn't any uh, mob uh, folks out there anymore in general. I mean, it's just way, 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 way down compared to like the 50s, the 60s or the 70s or maybe early 80s. And so you have these kind of combining forces where you don't really have um, you, you have good actors on the on the uh, on the playing side, the athletes, and you have good actors that are managing the books. Um, and so because of that, that translates into a fair game for for all consumers. And then, you know, again, with the whole Tim Donaghy thing, uh, you know, with the officiating, you know, I, I theoretically, that's probably, I guess, your, your biggest access point, um, you know, because they don't make as much as, as the athletes. Um, but even that has obviously been very, very, very rare. So you have all these factors kind of confluencing together to ensure that there's a fair game. And of course, it's live on top of it. And with social media, that just sort of exacerbates thing. I mean, if, if somebody was possibly doing something, it'd be pretty easy to find out. So going back into esports. So I had Ari Fox, who runs a casino esport conference on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. And he said exactly what you said is that, that if anything with esports, it's harder to cheat because you have things like IP address uh, that gets recorded. You have uh, actual streaming of it, you know, that gets recorded. You can see if somebody's doing something wrong. Um, you have measures in place that ban people, um, people are starting to make a lot more money being professional, uh, you know, in, in esports. So there's less of a reason for them to risk their future to help somebody win, you know, some, some bet. So I kind of, I kind of have to agree with that. I, I, I feel like I feel the integrity is actually there and, and maybe in the early days, it's going to be the big t- titles, you know, League of Legends, CSGO, Dota to whatever. Um, and maybe less so the, the more casual games, but I actually think the opportunity here is um, 
is uh, from a from a integrity standpoint, I think it's a non-issue. And I think the only reason that Vegas doesn't allow you to bet as big on esports as they do traditional sports is I don't think they know how to price the odds enough. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Or well enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do, how do you price you know something that is just unknown? Um, yeah, not a lot so, of data on these esports yet. Yeah, and I was gonna. So let me let me ask about that. So how would you go about like? So we have, so for example, like with launch of uh, esports betting and Zen sports, uh, we have a data provider that we get uh, a data feed of consensus odds, um, you know, a, across like multiple bookmakers um, and and so on and so forth. I mean, how do you go about uh, rating players and engaging their skill level? I mean, it's pretty clear, like, you know, uh, LeBron is, uh, you know, the Lakers are going to, you know, be a 12 point favorite against Orlando magic. Right. I mean, that's, it's just easy to understand that. How do you go about like handicapping these, these matches, these games, these players? I mean, what, what does that look like? Because I, I mean, just, it doesn't feel like there's enough info to know how to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, it's definitely harder. Um, but I think, you know, Vegas is probably looking at a ton of stuff, right? So just in terms of Fortnite, um, they're probably measuring right everything about the player. Uh, they're measuring, you know, every game when he dies, uh, every player, how many kills he gets, you know, what the gun those kills are with, uh, just everything. Because right, there's a certain amount of RNG, and if if a player is getting a lot of kills with a rocket launcher, right, they have a they have a kind of a super high amount of kills with that, right? You can't, you don't put a lot of weight on that because the chances he gets a rocket launcher are like 0.1%. percent. Um, so I think they're probably looking at a lot of stuff that, you know, casual gamers would never even think to look at. Um, and I'm sure they have stuff that, you know, we couldn't even think of. Um, and I'm sure they have computer programs that measure, uh, you know, aspects. Um, but to be honest, I really agree with that. I think it's hard to think of how they're going to come up with odds um, for esports. So I'm a bit of a money ball slash uh, analytics nerd when it comes to uh, sports. Not I'm not uh, I'm not in the weeds as much as, of course, uh, some quanti- quantitative analysts are. But um, I definitely follow it. I understand what they are, and you know I, I use them as indicators of uh, you know how uh, players or people will perform. So, for example, like in baseball, you have like batting average for balls in play, right? And if you have a really high batting average. Uh, compared to what it should be, uh, if you have a really high batting average for balls in play, that that tends to skew that you've gotten a little lucky, um, because you know that's just you're going to regress back to the mean there. So I wonder if the same thing could be applied. Like you just gave the rocket launcher example, like you know if if you have a lot of kills with that, you know that probably means that you got a little lucky um, more than hey you use like the <laughs> use your hands uh you know the opposite example would be your you know bare fists or whatnot to to get through the the stage and to and to you know have more kills and like then you go okay that guy that guy's got skill uh that guy or gal has, has skill so um yeah so i i think i i like i the one of the things that gives me pause in terms of like how big esports betting can get is actually not the the cheating aspect because i like i said i think i think that's going to be fine it is actually this is like if you can't price the odds well enough then it becomes not just hard for the for the for the people uh, making book or creating bets it also becomes hard for the people who are wanting to accept those bets or take the other side of it because they don't know how to properly gauge it either and so i think there's a I think that might be one of your the big opportunities in sport, uh, esports betting is uh, you know some products that come to the mainstream that give people confidence 
that these odds are set appropriately. And then that will get people to start to think about it a little bit more um, and to, to understand who the, the best players are out there, who the best teams are out there um, and so forth. But, uh, but I, I think that data piece is huge. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that right, if the odds are, are super unfair, uh, that might, that doesn't really affect the consumers, you know, want to, but they don't know what's unfair is kind of what I'm saying. Like if, if it's, if it's not, if it's not like, again, the, the Laker magic example, like, right. Obviously, you know, they're going to be favored, you know, the Lakers would be favored heavily over the magic in, in any game right now with the way both teams are constructed. And that would be clear to anybody. It's just, Hey, do I think like, let's say it's minus 12 for the Lakers. Like, Hey, do I think it's going to be uh Hey, do I think the, do I think the magic can make this a, uh, you know, an eight point game? You know, that's what would go through someone's mind. Or do I think the Lakers will blow them out? That's what goes into both sides of that particular bet. But if the odds are like some random number, that's tough for people to grasp. Then even the person taking the bet, they go, I don't know if that's a good bet or not for me to take. Uh, uh, um, I think uh, it's going to be really tough for the, you know, line makers in the books, right? They're not going to have a lot of trust in in what they they put out there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we could be wrong because, right? In all in all reality, these video games are they're just kind of sports like real sports. Um, and however, kind of they make their lines on real sports. You know, they're going to have the same ability in video games, right? You know, they're just as complicated. They're you know, they require a ton of thought and, and, and there's, there's a ton of, you know, variations of how you can play and what can happen. Um, so I think it's just going to be something that takes time, right? I think it's going to take time for them to, you know, trust the lines that they're setting and allow people to really place bets, you know, of large quantities and, and kind of for them to expand on their universe of games. Right. And then I think the other aspect and the last thing we'll talk about with regards to betting and actually just in, in popularity in esports in general is the fact that these arenas are popping up to watch esports. I think that is huge. And the reason why I say that is, again, kind of coming back to the traditional sports example and what we're facing right now with COVID-19 is there, I, I think they did a, a, a few polls out there where they asked sports fans, hey, do you want sports to come back this summer if it means you know, empty arenas and empty stadiums and so forth. And like 72% of people shockingly said, no, they don't. Like they said, the fans there make all the difference. Now I'm in the 28% group. I want sports back regardless because I'm just a diehard sports fan. And I, I, I mean, yes, of course it's much better if there's crowds, but um, I don't think we should, I don't think we should not bring, you know, the, the, the sports back because of that. But I think esports stadiums and arenas being built is I think that could be the biggest catalyst for both esports becoming more popular and for the betting piece because people want to people it's just it's just one of those psychological things right they want to see that there's excitement and interest around it and that influences betting as well too because you may have a home arena advantage or whatever it might be mm-hmm. uh, type of thing and I think that can just add to the potential uh, boost um, and excitement that esports gets and the betting piece. So what are your thoughts on actual arenas being built for live, uh, for live events for fans to attend? Uh, yeah, you're seeing a lot of it. Um, and you know, the call of duty league is a good example because they used to, uh, just have, I think one arena where teams would play at. Um, and this year they kind of rebranded league, uh, and they spread teams all throughout the United States, uh, 
or I mean, all throughout the world, right? You got teams in London, you got teams in Paris, you got two teams in LA, you got a team in Minnesota, uh, and they all have home arenas, right? So they, they're all generating, right, hometown fans, which, as you said, will, will lead to home and away kind of mm-hmm. rivalries and, and, stu- and things like that. Right. Um, but also Fortnite, right? Fortnite for their World Cup, which was kind of the biggest event they had, right? $30 million prize pool. Uh, they rented out the, the Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium in New York and completely sold it out. Um, and cr- the crowd was just ridiculous. Um, just going crazy and, and, and so excited to be there, uh, and to see their favorite players, uh, play the game and, 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 and inside the stadium too, were just a ton of, you know, gaming celebrities, you know, in, in a sense, uh, that the fans could go up and talk to and meet. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the, the stadiums are, are, you know, it's kind of like esports evolving into more traditional sports um, and kind of just, uh, you know, adding excitement and uh, and kind of that, things of that nature to the, uh, to now, the do event. You, do, you, do you think there's gamers that don't want that because they're like, we like this kind of underground nature of it. We don't want it to be like, like, like traditional sports, right? We like the fact that we have our own communities, our own tools for broadcasting. Or do you think a majority of them would welcome it because it probably will lead to uh, much larger TV deals or streaming deals or broadcasting deals, uh, which then of course leads to more money for the players and so forth. Uh, yeah, I think most of them probably like it, but I also think they don't really have a choice because of what you just said. <laughs> uh, right. So, so, so TV deals with video games are kind of just coming for, to fruition. Um, so the legends signed a $300 million deal in 2018 um, through 2023. Um uh, Overwatch League signed a ninety million deal, ninety million dollar deal with Twitch. I mean, these are pretty small amounts of money compared to um, the NFL, uh, but it's kind of just growing. And I think that you know the, the fan aspect and the crowd and kind of you know what would make the broadcast more interesting uh, is is developing too. Um, so with due time, I think we'll see more money being poured into TV deals. Right, exactly. I mean, you can start getting announcers. Uh, you can get uh, we can get Joe Buck announcing some uh, oh, that'd be uh, esports, esports games. <laughs> well, he's bored right now, right? Yeah. I mean, he's announcing people mopping their kitchen floor, right? <laughs> even so, the uh, uh, even the esports fans, we can play about it. My bad. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, last topic uh, before I let you go, and this has been this has been awesome, by the way. So, um, so kind of on the the decentralization and blockchain side of things. So this is near and dear to, uh, for example, like what we do with Zen Sports, which is um, you know, cryptocurrencies and, uh, you know, blockchain, i.e. decentralized transactions. And I think also on the betting side of things that this is huge because one of the problems with traditional like betting or, or even, I mean, you can even call it, um, uh, you know, like streaming services like YouTube or whatever, you have a centralized authority figure saying what can and can't be done, right? YouTube takes down videos all the time. Now they're probably not going to take down an, a, you know, esports streaming video, but, um, but theoretically they could. So do you, do you, do you, I, I think kind of it, what's interesting is that I think the decentralization community also could be very much like in the cryptocurrency community uh, as well too, because it's all about like being a meritocracy uh, versus, you know, having somebody say you can or cannot do certain things. And I think there's also interesting aspects of cryptocurrency tokens and loyalty and rewards going into 
streaming services, for example, um, earning cryptocurrency tokens for watching events, earning cryptocurrency tokens for streaming, for uh, sharing events out, uh, earning tokens for uh, for broadcasting events. And then, of course, you know, if you want to cash those out, you can or keep them as collectibles um, and whatnot. So do you hear any talk about uh, the crypto or blockchain world in the in the esports community at all? If so, you know, what is that? What does that look like? And if not, do you think there's any possible potential for it to uh, for it to kind of, uh, you know, marry over into that? Uh, yeah. So so I don't hear a ton about cryptocurrency and esports. And honestly, I don't hear a ton about cryptocurrency in general. Um, I mess around a little bit with a little bit with it in high school, um, you know, but I don't really do a ton with it. Uh, what I do think is that, you know, cryptocurrency and betting will go along very, very well. Uh, and that's because, you know, cryptocurrency is essentially betting, right? It's a currency, but it's, you know, a thousand times more volatile than regular currency. And I think integrating these coins into betting uh, is basically just, you know, two layers of betting, right? Not only are you betting uh, on the sports match or the esports match, you're also betting on, you know, a specific coin um, to go up or down. Uh, so I think that's a pretty cool aspect of it. But also, right, the uh, the payouts will be instant as compared to waiting for a bookie. I think that's a big, you know, beneficiary of the of the coin coins and um, current, uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, but in terms of esports, I, you know, I really haven't heard a lot about it. I know there's a lot of sites that um, use cryptocurrency for esports betting, um, but besides that, I don't right. know really. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, well, this has been really just super, super informative for us. I know our audience is stoked about this. Uh, we have a lot of traditional sports bettors that, for example, like they use Zen Sports and for for betting on the NBA, NFL, etc. They don't know as much about esports betting, um, but they're very excited about it. So I know that crowd is going to be excited to listen to this pod uh, to to just understand how a lot of this works. Do you have any any other final things to to bring up before we uh, jet out of here? Uh, you know, not really. Uh, thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Uh, this is the first podcast I've ever done, uh, which is pretty cool. It's a, a new experience, and I, I thought it was awesome. A lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I'm excited. I probably will play some bets on Zen Sports with eSports. You know, I'm actually – I don't really bet at all. Um, but, you know, just eSports, are, it's the only thing going on right now, and I have a pretty good eye for it because, you know, I've been – you know, involved with it for a long time. Uh, so I'm kind of excited. Well, Zen sports is right now only legal outside the U S so you oh, have to yeah, do it yeah. when you go, when you have, when you go take a trip uh, to, uh, I don't know, the Cayman islands, you can, uh, then you can play some bets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're, we're working on getting licensed in the U S um, we're hopeful to be in at least uh, a few, two or three States by the end of this year. And it's just real quickly on that. It's interesting because the, the legal and regulatory market around sports betting in the U.S. is just, it's accelerating like crazy. I mean, two years ago, uh, the Supreme Court struck down uh, the uh, PASPA law, which is what prohibited sports betting. There's one, there's two other laws that kind of need to like go by the wayside for us to really open floodgates, the floodgates out. One is the Wire Act and the other is the uh, Unlawful Internet Gaming Act. But in the meantime, what's happened is 18 states within their state borders have legalized sports betting. Uh, which is super, super exciting. And, uh, you know, hopefully that'll just continue to spread. And hopefully we also get it legalized at the federal level. But what I'm actually thinking is going to happen before that on the traditional sports side, I actually think esports betting could become like its own separate carve out that, um, that people can bet on that don't fall under those rules. Like almost like daily fantasy sports has its own carve out. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, I think esports can as well too. And then, and then specifically with Zen Sports, we're going to be adding daily fantasy esports so that you'll be able to bet on within our app. Yeah, I think that's an awesome idea. Uh, and, and can you just speak to why you think uh, it's easier to to do this in Europe as opposed to the United States? It seems kind of betting interesting. or sports betting. Yeah, sports betting on. Okay, so yeah, we. I, I here's my take on this is the rest of the world has had legalized sports betting for decades. And so you have at least, let's just call it three, four, five generations of of people growing up with it just embedded in their culture. I mean, kiosks like on street corners and in coffee shops that you can play sports bets with, right? So I think like anything, when it's ingrained in your culture, it's looked at as no big deal. Oh yeah, big deal. You know, place a bet on whatever. And so it's not just Europe, it's Australia, it's uh, 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 Asia, uh, uh, to some degree, South America, and then Africa is becoming pretty big on it too now. But the bottom line is, is that in the US, it's always looked at as has always been looked at as this underground, uh, you know, mafia run, you know, uh, back alley transaction that is a no, no. When in reality, the rest of the world has has not been doing, has not looked at like that forever. And so I think the culture is slowly changing. And for sure, millennials and Gen Z, um, you know, they want it. They want sports betting. And they don't want Big Brother telling them that they can't place a bet on something. Uh, they want the freedom to be able to do that. So it's it's slowly changing. And you're seeing kind of an avalanche, which, you know, again, in just two years ago, no states had it. Now 18 do. So you're seeing that attitude and cultural shift, but we still have a ways to go. I'd say give it another three years and almost all 50 states will have it. I think it'll be legalized at the federal level. And I think that, you know, you'll be able to do it easily, you know, again, right from your phone, like, for example, like what Zen Sports offers. So we're, we're getting there. It's just, it's a little bit being done in piecemeal right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, awesome, Jacob. This was super, super cool. Um, I really appreciate you joining. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, get this shared out with everyone. This was an awesome, awesome podcast and appreciate you joining and have just a, a great rest of your weekend. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was awesome.